day in and day out. Uh, so this is one of the articles from that. And it's an Egyptian water pot. Um, you might even think of it as an Egyptian Nalgene. Um, and so apparently, if my friends in Egypt were right in the way they described this, this design of water pot actually goes back to the days of the pharaohs. And there's something about the shape, there's something about the clay of the water pot that keeps the water cool, which is a nice thing in the heat of the Egyptian desert. Um, and you can also, I've been in, in different cities in, in Egypt and before, you know, modern running water, and even up to today, you see little trees of these where they're set on these kind of metal stands, and it's a public water fountain. Now, this was before COVID. I don't know if COVID put an end to people, you know, sharing these water jugs in the street. But it's the way that people would get a drink of water. And so this morning, as we open scripture together, I want us to think about the story of the woman at the well. And as we look at this story, I want to reflect on what it teaches us about mission and about our involvement in the mission of Jesus in the world and how we, like this water pot, are called to be people that take living water to the nations. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to John chapter 4. You may actually want to as well stick a finger in John chapter 1, the passage that we just read together. We're going to focus on John chapter 4. Really this morning, we're going to focus on verses 28 through 30. But I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 1 of chapter 4. And we're going to read this whole story of the woman at the well. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, 
you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's pray together once more. Father, we give you thanks for this time to open up your word together. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your scripture, and we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you would say to us, your people, and that we would take it and be remade into the image of our Savior. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, this really is a rich text and really worth reflecting on deeply in connection with mission and evangelism especially as we look at Jesus as a model of evangelism. Um, But this morning, I want to focus on the woman's response to Jesus and what happens afterwards. And so before we get to her response, let's quickly look at this encounter that she has and kind of take this from her perspective and what's happening through this meeting, this encounter with Jesus. So we see at the beginning, it's the sixth hour, which means it's noon, the middle of the day. And she's going about doing her daily chores. Now, one of the important daily chores of um, really before running water was that water had to be, you had to go to the well and bring back water. And in most cultures, and even in cultures up to today, we see that that was often the task of women within the community. And it's not easy work. I mean, this is a small water jar, but the water jars that they would have been collecting for the whole house would have been quite large. And so... It's something that you tended to want to do in the cool of the morning, the early hours of the day. But we see this woman is there in the heat of the day, in the noon sun. And that tells us that she's probably trying to avoid interaction with others. She's hoping to get to the well, get her work done, and get back without having to talk to anyone. Now, this is probably connected to her reputation within the village. I mean, she's a woman that had five husbands. People would have known And so she's wanting to avoid these kind of interactions. So here she is in the heat of the day, trying to get her chores done in peace and quiet. And when she gets to the well, she sees a Jewish man sitting at the well, 
tired out from his travels. Now, maybe at first she's thinking, maybe there's some disdain there that this is a Jew. What's he doing here? I mean, Jews and Samaritans don't really get along. But maybe at the same time, there's a bit of a relief as she thinks, okay, he's a Jewish guy. He's not going to talk to me, a Samaritan. I can still get here, get my chores done, and go. But he didn't not talk to her. In fact, he speaks up and he asks her, give me a drink. And in, a, in reply, I mean, you can begin to see some of the racial tensions kind of rise to the surface here. She says to them, you know, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you be asking me for a drink? After all, you don't have anything to drink out of. And I know that you Jews aren't going to drink out of the same cup after us Samaritans. But then Jesus, he turns the tables on her and he tells her, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would actually be asking me for a drink of water. And the water I give, if you drink from it, you will never thirst again. Now, at first, she doesn't quite understand what he's talking about. And we can see that she's still thinking in a very physical manner because she says, you know, give me some of this water so that I, I won't get thirsty and I don't have to keep coming back here to this well every day and filling up my water pot and taking it back to the village. And so she says, give me some of this water. But then out of what might seem like nowhere to her, Jesus tells her, go call your husband and then come back. But she's got this one. She's used to people asking about her home life. And so she just simply says, I have no husband. And she's got to be thinking, this guy's a foreigner. He doesn't have any clue about the rest of the story. But he does. And he, he proceeds to tell her the rest of the story. And at this point, she knows that something's different about this guy. And she says, you know, are you a prophet? I mean, because only a prophet could see into the condition of a person like this. And so then she deflects. She changes the subject. Things are getting a little bit too personal. And she raises this issue of worship. Raises this theological question of, oh, do we worship in Jerusalem? Do we worship in Samaria? But then Jesus replies to her and he tells her that God is bigger than the places that we worship him in. And that really there is coming a day when those old distinctions will pass away and really what matters is that we worship God in spirit and truth and that God will be available to all. Now at this point she's coming to an understanding of who she's talking to. And she brings up the promise of the Messiah to which Jesus then says, I am he. I'm the one that is promised. And it's at this point in the story that Jesus' disciples return. But the woman, at this point, she's heard enough. She knows what she needs to do. And so in verse 20, 28, it says that she left her water pot, she went away back into the city, and she said to the people, come, see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. Can this be the Messiah? Now, as we look at this woman's response to Jesus in verses 28 and 29, and think about what it can teach us about mission, we're going to look at her three actions in these, th in these verses. So first we see that she left. She left her water jar. She let it go. She went, and then she invited. Now, before we dive into these three, I just want to articulate kind of an underlying assumption 
that I'm working off of this morning and one that I think we see played out throughout this story. And that is that there is an essential connection between being a follower of Jesus or being a disciple and being engaged in the mission of Jesus. The assumption is that discipleship and mission are inseparable. They go hand in hand. They're part of the same thing. So when we come back to this woman and her response to Jesus, the first thing we see that the woman did after coming to understand that Jesus is the Messiah is that she left her water jar. Now when she initially came to the well, the whole purpose for her being there was to gather water. And that water jar was essential for that. But once she met Jesus, that water, what was necessary in the moment, lost its importance. She got a taste of spiritual water. And so she left the physical water jar behind so that she could run and bring others so that they could taste this spiritual water as well. Now we're used to, I think, leaving being a part of what we think of as missions. All right? It's something that we most often associate with our traditional picture of missionaries. They're people that leave behind their culture, their home, their country to go and take the gospel to other lands. That's what our team did here. They left Birmingham. They went up to Toronto. There's a leaving involved. And that definitely is a part of international missions. It can't be done without this leaving. But we see that discipleship really as mission itself involves leaving as well. Discipleship calls us to leave behind the old way of life It calls us, and that really we see that in the picture of baptism, which is the initiation of discipleship, and that when we are baptized, it's a dying to the old self, a dying to sin, a leaving behind of the ways of the world. But discipleship is also a leaving of the ways and the pursuits of this world in order for us to pursue Jesus. It's a reorienting of our lives around Jesus and really around his mission, what he is doing in the world. And that requires a reorganization of our priorities. It it requires us to leave behind things, maybe even good things, maybe even necessary things. It requires us to let go. So over the last couple of years, we've actually seen a handful of guys from the Middle East come to faith. And for a couple of them, when they told their families back home in the Middle East about their faith and that they had been baptized and chosen to follow Jesus, Their families rejected them and even threatened to kill them. Now, for one of these guys, that meant that he had a home there that was part of his family's building. It was his apartment that that one day he was hoping to move into and build a family. But he had to leave that behind because of following Jesus. He had to let that go. But he knew that what he was gaining in Jesus and participating in what Jesus was doing in his life was of so much more value than that home or even his family back in the Middle East. And that he was compelled to follow Jesus and not just follow Jesus, but be obedient in sharing that good news with his family. And so we see that discipleship, that mission, requires leaving things behind, letting them go. So let me ask you, what are the things that you need to let go of What are the things in your life that you need to let go of that you can be freed up to be a part of God's mission, of God's work in the world? What are the things that might slow you down the way a water pot would slow this woman down from taking the message 
to her village? What are some things that could be set aside for now and picked up later? You know, sometimes when we think about letting go, it's not just bad things, not just good things. Sometimes it's necessary things that we need to let go of, to leave behind in order to pursue Christ and what he is doing in the world. Water is necessary. This Samaritan woman, she was going to have to come back to the well and get water to drink to sustain her physical life. But in that moment, she set aside what was necessary for life to be a part of what God was doing through her and taking living water, not just for her, but to her village. So this woman then, by leaving her water jar, set aside her daily tasks, set aside what she thought was important for what was most important. And that was sharing the message of Jesus, inviting others to come to see him. And so then we see that after she left her jar, she went. She went back to her village because she needed to tell others about this man she had just met and what he had done in her life. All right, this was an experience too good to keep to herself. She had to tell others. And so we see in Jesus' encounter with this woman that his call on our life, is, it not only draws us into him, but at the very same time, it sends us out as well. So we might say then that discipleship, that mission, has both a centripetal and a centrifugal aspect. Centripetal in that it draws us to Jesus, the source of life. It draws us deeper into a relationship with him, to know and experience him the way that this woman met and experienced Jesus there by the well. But the irony of that drawing into Jesus is at the very same time that it draws us in, it also sends us out. So just as the woman comes to understand who Jesus is, she is compelled to go and share the one whom she has just found. Now we see the same thing in the story that we read together of the calling of the disciples in John chapter 1. And if you flip back over there, you'll see that with both Peter, when he, sorry, both Andrew and Philip, when they are called, the first thing they do after Jesus calls them is they go and find another. Andrew, as soon as Jesus calls him, he goes and finds his brother Peter and says, come, we have found the Messiah. And then Philip does the same thing. He goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, come experience the Messiah, the one who has called us into that relationship. And so we see then in both the story of the woman at the well and the calling of these first disciples in John, that the call to come to Jesus is at the same moment coupled with a going. A going out to find others and to bring them to Jesus. All right, there's no waiting for a period of growth or maturity or a chance to learn all the answers. Now those things, they happen as we go. They happen along the road. They need to happen. We have to grow in those ways. But we see the going out is a part of discipleship from its very initiation. The, go, the call to go out and proclaim Jesus is there from the very beginning. Now we see also that this going out this movement outwards is also seen in the image of the living water that Jesus uses with the woman there at the well. In verse 14, Jesus tells her, whoever drinks of this water which I give, uh, of which I give them will never thirst again, but the water which I will give to them will be in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. 
Now elsewhere in the Gospel of John, water is used as an image for the Holy Spirit. And so in in John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And John goes on to tell us that when Jesus said this, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So here in chapter 4 and again in chapter 7, Jesus talks about water, living water filling the one who drinks. And he's talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Now when we decide to follow Jesus, when we give our life to him, he fills us with his spirit. All right, this was the promise of the prophets. They said that there would come a time when God would put his own spirit in those who believe so that through the spirit they would be transformed and they would be renewed in their lives. They would become then a vessel, a container for God himself. And we see in these passages in John that when Jesus fills us with his spirit, he fills us to overflowing The verbs that he uses in these passages are vivid and active. He tells the woman that the water will become like a spring that's bubbling up, welling up inside of her. And then he talks about in chapter 7 as the spirit of being like a river. And the picture really is like a, a stream that is just bursting its banks because it's in a torrential downpour. And so we see that when Jesus fills us with his spirit, he fills us to overflowing so that we can be vessels that let that water flow into others. Now, one of the unique things I think about this water jar is that to use it, you don't just put water in it. I mean, that kind of would work. But the idea really to use it well, to use it right, you have to fill it and fill it to overflowing and really let the water first saturate this pot. Now, you can tell that this pot's never been used, or if you knew about these pots, you could tell it's never been used because it's dry, and it's this kind of chalky look. But once they've been in use for a while, the clay begins to take on this dark, shiny color because it's just saturated with the water. And so, in the same way, that that needs to happen in our lives, That to be vessels that carry the water, the living water to the thirsty, we have to ourselves first be filled and saturated with that water. That we have to be overflowing with God's spirit. And when we are filled and saturated and overflowing, we cannot but help take that excess, that overflowing nature of God's spirit to those that also need to taste it. And so we see again then the centripetal and the centrifugal aspects of meeting Jesus. That when we believe in him, we are filled with his spirit. We are drawn into a deep relation, deep and intimate relationship with both the Father and the Son through his spirit in our lives. And it's that very relationship, that very spirit that at the same time is meant to fill us to to the point that we are taking that message to others, to share that water with those that need it. And because of that, it's, it's vitally important that we maintain our, our relationship with Jesus through his spirit, that we stay attached to the source. We have to passionately pursue being in relationship with him because if we're not, if we're not being filled with that spirit, 
then we will be dry and have nothing left to give. You know, once these jars have been used and they've been filled over and over, you know, and the clay expands with the water, if you stop putting water into it, eventually it's going to dry out and crack and not be good for anything. And so we likewise need to be stayed, stay in contact with the source, be filled over and over to be sent out and take that water to those who are thirsty. So we see then that the woman left. She left her jar behind. She went, went full of the living water, and then that she invited others. So when she got to the village, she really had a simple message for people. Nothing complicated, nothing fancy. She just said, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Now notice the change in the woman at this point. Before, we said it seems she wanted to avoid people because of her reputation as a sinful woman. Now she's no longer ashamed to proclaim that Jesus has told her everything that she's ever done. She's not ashamed because in Jesus, she did not find condemnation, but rather she found forgiveness and the promise of a new way of life. And her experience of forgiveness then compels her to invite others to come and see. Now, her, invita her invitation to the village mirrors that of Philip to Nathaniel. So after Jesus called Philip, the first thing that Philip did was he went to find Nathaniel. And he told him that they had found the Messiah. And then when Nathaniel expressed his doubt, saying, you know, what good can come out of Nazareth? Philip invited him. Come and see. Come and see. When the first disciples and the woman at the well proclaimed, come and see, it was an invitation to come and experience Jesus. To come and check him out for themselves. To come and experience the one who had changed their own lives, who had called them. So the woman's, the disciples, and then each of us, who are believers, we have had an encounter with Jesus. Now, we may not have seen him in the flesh, but we have seen his power. We have seen the fruit of his spirit. We have experienced his forgiveness in our lives. We've seen him at work in our church, in our lives, in both big things and small. And such encounters with Jesus should then send us out so that we can invite others to come and see, to experience the one that has changed us. For really, it's only in seeing Jesus, it's only in meeting him that then people will experience salvation, that they will taste the living water that God is offering them, his spirit to be poured out in their lives. Now, I mentioned earlier about some of our new believers in Toronto and some of the things that they have had to leave behind. Now, there's another guy, we'll call him Aaron, um, who came to faith about November of last year. And like this other one that I mentioned, when he told his family, his family rejected him. And they made threats on his life. And so he applied for refugee status within Canada to prevent his family from being able to come to Canada and act on those threats. Now, Aaron finally got his hearing for refugee status just a just a few weeks ago, about two weeks before we left to come back to Birmingham. 
And he was pretty nervous. I mean, well, pretty nervous is putting it lightly. He was really nervous leading up to this because it had you know, a pretty big impact on his legal status within the country. And so the night before his hearing, he came over to our house and we sat and we read scripture together, reading about how Jesus had promised to give us the words and to use these opportunities as a witness before governors, before judges and authorities. And we prayed together. Well, the next day his hearing went really way better than could be expected. And he, uh, he just testified that he saw God at work and that God answered those prayers and gave him the words to say. But one of the things that really stood out to me as he was retelling the story was that at one point during this hearing, he was asked by the judge, like, why, why did you choose this particular church to be a part of? And he told the judge... He says, because this church feels like family and because the Spirit of God is there. And he said, I can't fully explain it. The only, the only way you would know is if you came and experienced it yourself. And so right there in the midst of his refugee hearing, he invited the judge, who's a Jew, as well as his translator, a Catholic, and his lawyer, who is an agnostic from a Muslim background, invited them all to come to the church to come and see and so here's this brother with his legal status on the line, boldly proclaiming, come and see, come and experience the one who is at work in his people, who has given us life. And we see then that this seeing, this, this experiencing Jesus really is the heart of God's mission in the world. In chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, this indeed is the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So Jesus tells us God's purpose is that when people see Jesus, that they would put their faith in him, and that this faith would lead to eternal life and a share in his resurrection. So we see then that in the story of this woman, that she having encountered Jesus, she left, she went, and she invited. She invited people to come and see Jesus. Now, thankfully, John doesn't end the story there. He doesn't leave us wondering what happened to this woman and to this village. Now, it says in verse 30 that many listened to her, and they came out to see Jesus. And then he picks the story back up in verse 39. And he says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe Jesus. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Because of this simple invitation of this woman to come and see Jesus, many experienced him for themselves and believed in him. And this woman is a reminder to us that God uses simple and broken people in this world to extend that invitation to others to be the vessels that carry the living water to the thirsty. And so we see then that, that the work of mission 
is really that invitation. Come and see. Come and see the one who has saved me and changed me. Now, maybe it's to a family member. Maybe like Andrew to his brother Peter. Maybe it's a friend like Philip and Nathaniel. Maybe it's going back to your hometown like this woman to her village. Maybe it's to an unreached people group that lives in the far reaches of the world. But it all comes back to that invitation. Come and see. Come and see Jesus, the Savior of the world. Now, as we come to a time of invitation, I just want to extend that simple invitation to you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, come and see. Come and see. Come and experience the one that has the power to change your life. The one that has the power to put his spirit in you, to enable you to live in relationship with him, not just now, but for all eternity. Uh, Brother Rich and Brother Cooley are going to be up here. If you want to know more about the God that has changed us, come and find them. Come and find anyone in this church and ask them about what Jesus has done in their life so that you too might live and enter into that relationship with him. Come and see.